Hi, my name is Paul and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Who enjoyed the, uh, the snow in Temecula this week? How long was that for? Four minutes, 45 seconds, 20 minutes. That's actually pretty strong. It was like, in my experience, it was like a, a, like a, like a haily snow. <laughs> So it wasn't even like that nice, like fluffy snow where you can make a snowball. My kid, everybody has a video of my girls in the backyard and they're trying to like make a snowball and it literally just looks like if you go to 7-Eleven and you put your hand under the ice machine that has the little, it looks like that, you know? But it was cool. It was like, oh wow, it's like so, so cold and snowing, but. Okay, so um, guys, we're in a really unique season, I feel like, as a church. God's doing something with us that's... Uh, from my vantage point, really remarkable. And when I say us, I mean like collectively, corporately. And I don't think what he's doing is isolated to just, you know, the adults or just the leaders or just the children or just the, like, I think it literally is all of us in a really unique way. We're going through this series based on what we feel like God's doing in us. We're going through this series that we've called priesthood. And it's really kind of the heartbeat behind it is it's, it's rooted in this idea of, of restoring our priestly identity as Christians, as people who are in Christ. To be in Christ means literally to be clothed in his righteousness. And part of our identity as Christians is priests. This isn't my opinion. This is straight out of 1 Peter chapter 2. We've been kind of camping out there for a while. But that God says that, that, that now because of who God is and what he's done through Jesus, we are now a collective, a priesthood, a collective of priests. And we've been exploring about, you know, what is a priest? A priest is somebody who's, whose life is, is oriented around, around ministering to God. Not because God, like, needs something from us, but this idea of, of, of ministering to God, of, of blessing him, of, of pleasing him, of praising him, of worship. A life dedicated, oriented around worshiping God, not out of duty, but out of delight. Just because he's worth it. Worthy, that's what it means. It means he's, he's worth it. That word worship, it, it, it comes from an old English word that means to ascribe ultimate worth. So when we say we worship Jesus, what we're saying is, is he's worth more than anything else. And the, and the truth of the matter is there's so many times in our lives where there are other things that are actually worth more to us in the moment. And as a result of that, we make poor choices, we hurt ourselves, we hurt the people around us, and that's just kind of, that's just kind of what happens. But, but Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection, he's made a way, he's freed us, we're going to talk about a little about freedom today, but he's freed us to be able to worship him. Is this thing falling on me? Mark, do you need to help me? What's happening? This is really weird. I feel like Britney Spears or Garth Brooks with this silly face mask. Let's just try that. Um, but worship, like, it's what you're created for. 
It's literally what you were created for. And so we've been in this season experiencing this idea of our, our priestly identity, that it's not just something that you do. It's if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, it's part of your, it's part of your identity. It's part of who you are as a new creation. Um, and like I mentioned, God's doing something in our church. Um, I really believe that he's, he's, I don't know, he's like activating things. He's increasing our appetite for the things of heaven. He's increasing our appetite for him, for his kingdom. Um, those of you guys that were with us last Sunday, I, I, it, was, it, was, it was remarkable. I think in the life of our church, we haven't had that level of kind of like the presence of God. I don't know, it was, it was so intense. It was so intense. I mean, you guys worshiped for almost an hour on the front end. Those of you guys that weren't here, you know, FOMO, sorry, but, and it had nothing to do, it wasn't because of me, it wasn't because of Herrick, it wasn't because of the band. Honestly, I think it was because of the hunger in the room. And you could feel it even this morning, there's like this, 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 this growing hunger for him. It's really, really beautiful. But it was this, it was this experiential reality of just a glimpse of, of the manifest presence of God and what that means for us. And what you saw happening, I, I had to pause and kind of teach for a moment. And I'm going to kind of touch on this today. But what we saw was, it's like, it's what we read uh, last week, but I'm going to talk about it today. But at the end of, of the third chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul describes what, what we feel like God's doing in us catalyzing with last week, start, again, kind of building off of last week, even in this week, I think there's more for us. Um, and it's centered around these ideas of freedom and beholding God. Last week, even this morning, see people experiencing more freedom, not just in how they engage in worshiping God and how they praise him, but like, <clears throat> uh, Tears of gratitude, people being, f- feeling and experiencing freedom from shame, freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation. Like all that stuff happens in the presence of God. And we're tasting that, we're experiencing an increase of that right now as a church. And so here's what I want to do I want to read the passage that we're going to be in today. We touched on it last week, but I, I want to kind of I want to I wanna be sensitive to what I believe that the Spirit of God wants to do in our church in this season. And so flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 17 and 18. And this is where we're going to be. We're going to camp out here for a while. I don't know how long. A few weeks, maybe more. Because this is what God's on about. Okay? I'm going to read out of the ESV. Uh, I typically read out of the CSB. That's the Christian Standard Bible Translation. Um, It's a really great translation. It's probably my favorite. But with these verses, I think the ESV and like the New King James and the NASB, I think they get it right. And when I say they get it right, isn't that the other translation get it wrong, but their word selection is just really special here. And that's why I want to read out of the ESV. Before I read this, I want to pray, set up our time, buckle up. Let's pray. Lord, I do feel like we're on a a ride in a a cool way. I feel like you're leading us somewhere. I feel like you're taking us somewhere. And that somewhere is really you're taking us to someone and that is yourself. 
the promise that if we draw near, if we humble ourselves and draw near to you, we put away our pride, put away our preference, and we draw near to you that you'll draw near to us. And I feel like that's happening. I feel like you're doing that in this season of our church. And not like the organization, the family, the worshiping family of priests. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you now. We invite you this whole time, but even right now, I I pray that you would begin to um, remove distractions in people's minds. Help us see Jesus more clearly. You love, you love to point out the beauty of Jesus to us, the glory of Jesus. So would you do that? Would you help me get out of the way? I want to honor and serve. I love you, Jesus. You're so wonderful. You're so kind. Amen. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let your mind go back to last, last Sunday. The presence of God was pretty intense. People experiencing freedom because in his presence, there's freedom where he is, right? Verse 18, listen to this. And we all, if you have your Bible, underline we all. Okay, this is a corporate, collective thing we're about to get into, not just a you alone, you follow Jesus kind of in an isolated way. Verse 18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, here's what I want to talk about. Here's, here's, your, here's, your message, here's your message in a nutshell, okay? And it's this idea that beholding leads to becoming, all right? Beholding leads to becoming. Let's flesh this out. What does it mean to behold? Thoughts, what does it mean to behold? Talk to me. To admire, to keep something in your, in your mind, what'd you say, Isaac? To what? Say it one more time, dude. To contain, okay. What else, guys? I love that you spoke up, Isaac. To gaze. To gaze. Yeah. Observe. To observe, okay. To pay attention to, absolutely, okay. That's, that's, that's really the crux behind it. All of those are, 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 are good answers. But when you think of beholding, I want you to think of this idea of paying attention to. Behold. You read it all over the New Testament, right? What did John the Baptist say when Jesus shows up on the scene? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? Behold, pay attention to, look at, gaze at. Now, here's the thing about us as humans. We really enjoy beholding two things, giving our attention to two things. Those two things are this, beauty and glory. You love, just like me, we love to behold beauty. We love to behold glory. When I say beauty, what am I talking about? Think about it. Like everything from physical beauty to, 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 to nature, to, to music, to art, beholding beauty. Um, glory. People love to tune in to other successful people. Successful. Glory. Right? That's why, that's why sports, like athletics, professional sports, is as big of a thing as it is. It's because we're drawn to glory. 
We're drawn to people who are, who are champions in their field or in their game or in their sport. Everybody loves to behold two things, pay attention to, and it's beauty and glory. Here's the thing, friends. We will give our attention to whatever we find beautiful and whatever we find glorious, okay? This is this idea of what it means to be fascinated, Fascination. Fascination is when your attention and your interest is irresistibly drawn to something or someone. I want to read that again. Fascination is when your attention and your interest is irresistibly, like you can't help it, it's just, oh, I'm drawn to that. When your attention and your interest is irresistibly drawn to something or someone, okay? I can think of three examples from different seasons of my life to where this was totally the case, okay? Growing up, I like, I got bring up sports again. I was all about sports, especially basketball. It was my life. Eat, sleep, drink. Like, I would dream about it. Like, it was just my world. I know you guys are looking at me like, sure it was, you know, you don't look like the tallest guy in the world, the whole thing. But I, I really did. Like, I, I loved it. I played it all growing up, even in the high school, the whole thing. It was, I was fascinated by it. It is a beautiful game. Like, there's so much artistic, like, it, there's expression in it. There's, it takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of endurance. Um, and even in the era I grew up, like, some of the fashion was cool. Like, sneakers were just starting to be a thing. Like, when I was a kid, like, Jordans didn't exist, and then Jordans existed. And you're like, well, those are the coolest things. Take my money now. Like, and people are still like, take my money with the Jordans. But I, I was fascinated by it. And I didn't have to try. It was just a natural, like, because I think we're drawn to glory and to beauty. And then as I got older, um, I really, I, I love music. Um, I'm, a, I'm not the world's most gifted musician, but I love songwriting. I love express the, 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 the medium, the art that is music, I think is, it's second to none. I mean, I don't, I don't want to dog on any other expressions of creativity, but like music just does something to your soul. You know, like th- I don't know. I, I can't explain it, but it's real. And I remember like I can take back like my, my, my teenage years, like on just being captivated and fascinated by music wanting to discover new music, wanting to play it as much as possible, wanting to collaborate. I was in bands and doing all these cool things and expressing myself, but I was, I was so drawn to the beauty and the glory that is music and the expression and the whole thing. And then I remember being just utterly fascinated by Ebony, fascinated by her beauty inside, her beauty outside, and there's something about being a young man when you're like pretty immature and you encounter something that, like something beautiful, like in my case, Ebony, where you're willing to make significant adjustments to your life in order to just get close to that beauty. Friends, we will give our attention to whatever we find beautiful and glorious, to whatever fascinates us. So my friend, can I ask you a question? What fascinates you? Think about it. What fascinates you? What do you find beautiful? 
What do you find glorious? The answer to those questions is whatever you give your attention to. And please hear me, like, I'm not talking about like the kind of obligations and responsibilities in life. So many of you guys serve your family selflessly. You guys are amazing in the ways that you care. Like, you know, you, you're obviously giving your, your attention to work, into school, into your household, and all good stuff. But I'm not talking about that necessarily. I'm not talking about the, the responsibilities or, dare I say, the obligations. I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like the internet search history stuff. Like, I'm not even just, not, don't, go, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not going down that road of like maybe potentially scandalous things. Dude, this thing is driving me crazy. Um, that's not what I'm, what I'm saying. I'm saying like the things that you're fascinated by, that you're like, Google, I want to know more about this. Show me pictures of this. Take me to a store that sells this. Like that kind of stuff that you don't have to try. You just are like, I'm fascinated. These, this, is, this is beautiful. The, 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 there's, this, there's glory here that's drawing me irresistibly. Are you with me? Things that you're drawn to, things that you find beautiful and glorious. What fascinates you? And please, I'm not trying to set you up to, to condemn you right now. I just want you to get a pulse. In 2020, um, $674 billion, that's six, seven, four, and nine zeros. $674 billion was spent on advertising. <laughs> that is so much money. Like that, and here's what's crazy. The amount that gets spent each year on advertising is increasing each year. And it has been for like a long time. Okay? Just to put that in perspective, that's enough money to buy the average house in the U.S. for two million of your closest friends. So you're like, I'm gonna buy two million homes $674 billion spent on advertising. My friends, do you have any idea how valuable your attention is? Do you have any idea how valuable your attention is? Corporations do. Corporations do. The, the powerful people, they do. The wealthy people, they do. That's why we use the phrase pay attention. It's something that you pay. That means it's kind of finite. That means that, that there, there's a value associated with it, right? That means that our attention is a form of currency. That means there's an economy for your, fighting for your attention. That means it has tremendous value. And there are people who are willing to spend billions and billions of dollars to literally buy your attention. Why? The reason is because they know that what the Bible teaches is true. Whether they're Christians or not, whether they're following Jesus or not, they know that it's true. They know that you become like what you behold. 
You become like what you behold. I'm going to say that probably 20 more times before I'm finished. You and I become like what we behold. Like I said, uh, sports was a big deal for me growing up. Basketball was a big deal for me growing up. Um, And my favorite player growing up was Michael Jordan. But Michael Jordan pre the first retirement. Okay, when he retired, I was crushed. And then when he came back, I was like, dude, you're toying with my emotions. Like I'm all in on the Lakers. Like I was a Laker fan, but how do you not be a Jordan fan in the the 80s and the early 90s? You just have to be. He just was on another planet, right? But it was this like, I I was fascinated by Michael Jordan. I was drawn to him irresistibly. Like the guy, the glory. I mean, the, he was undefeated in the finals, and he won six of them. And he took a couple years off in the middle to try playing baseball. And he wasn't that good. But like, dude, here, there's all the debates about MJ and Kobe and LeBron. Like, LeBron just beat the, the scoring record, right? He just beat Kareem's scoring record. And like, here's my thing. Like, LeBron's a video game player. He's so big, he's so strong, he's incredible. No one's better than Jordan. No one's better than Jordan. Like, you can, we can fight about it if you want. But like, MJ was this like, glorious winner that the whole, at least in my childhood, like everybody was drawn to MJ, right? And he was like all over the TV, commercial after commercial after commercial, right? And do you remember the one that stood out to me the most was like, if I could be like Mike. The youth are just like, you guys are weird. But like those of us giggling, you saw it a hundred million times like I did. I have a treat for you. They have remastered that commercial. Sometimes I dream, he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. What do you got to do to be like Mike? You got to drink that Gatorade, baby. You drink that Gatorade, you could be dunking on people. You could be hitting that game winner at the buzzer. If you behold Michael Jordan in all his glory, you will desire to become like him. And in an effort to become like him, you will almost certainly buy Gatorade and Nikes. You get it? Uh, let's update it just a little bit. Maybe this is old news now, but like there's an entire, practically, there's practically, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to use superlatives. There's a lot of young girls and young women uh, of a certain generation who 
behold the Kardashians. And as a result, you know, they, 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 they watch all the TV shows, right? They, they follow every move they make on social media. I mean, millions and millions and millions of people. And they're like famous for being famous, the whole thing. But either way, people like, not just women, men too, like just, just honed in, beholding these young ladies. TV shows, social media. Uh, th- these young girls, they start to dress like them and talk like them and act like them and more importantly, buy the products that they endorse. And Friends, hear me. You become like what you behold. I'm gonna say it again. You become like what you behold. And listen, this isn't just like a cultural thing. This isn't like a fad thing. This is all over the Bible, okay? I wanna share just one, I don't have a whole lot of time left. I wanna share just one like kind of fun example from Matthew chapter 14. Will you guys throw up Matthew chapter 14? I'll be back in the Christian Standard Bible translation now. Okay, Matthew chapter 14, familiar story, tune in. Okay, it says immediately. Now, immediately is setting the scene for something. Jesus got, he just got done miraculously feeding 5,000 people, okay? And then, verse 22, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, right? While he dismissed the crowds. So those are all the people he just fed, thousands of people. Jesus is dismissing the crowds. He's sending his disciples in the boat. They're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, saying, go to the other side, right? Verse 23, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. So it's the middle of the night. Verse 24. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from the land. Okay, so picture that boat in the center of the Sea of Galilee. The boat battered by the waves because the wind was against them. So there's a storm going down. Verse 25. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. The Bible says some wild stuff. Can you just track with me? These disciples are in the boat in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a gnarly storm, and Jesus, God in the flesh, is walking out to them on water. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, as they should be. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. This is what he said, have courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Get this, Jesus said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. What's Peter doing at this point? He's walking on water. Just like Jesus. Verse 30. But when he, Peter, saw the strength of the wind, underline that, 
he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Friends, why did Peter doubt? You see, I want you to get the picture here, okay? Peter stopped looking at Jesus He stopped paying attention to Jesus. He stopped beholding Jesus. And then what does it say? Verse 30. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He'd already been in the storm. He wasn't like, oh, I'm just now seeing the storm around me. That's not what's happening here. I want you to get the picture. When Peter's attention was on Jesus... He became like Jesus to the point that he walked on water too. But when his attention drifted toward the storm and off of Jesus, when he beheld the storm, instead of beholding Jesus, he sank while Jesus walked on the water. Are you getting the picture here? Looking at Jesus leads to looking like Jesus. Why? Because you become like what you behold. It's not just true of Michael Jordan. It's not just true of the Kardashians. It's just plain true. And for, for us, parents, can I just talk to you in the room? Whether your kid is a day old or a day before they turn 18, hear me. Your kids will become like what they behold. And so will we. Youth, you will become like what you behold. What you pay attention to, what you find fascinating, what draws you in, and what you give your gaze to. You will become like what you behold. And hear me, there's no stopping it. It's not like that's for some people. No, man, we're image bearers. We're going to get into this in the, next, in, the, in the weeks to come. We are literally image bearers. We were made in the image of who? Of God. Why? To reflect what he's like. You are always reflecting what you're beholding because you, you become like what you behold. Friends, we've talked about this a little bit, but like it's this concept that we're always, we're always being formed into something. And, and as a church, as disciples of Jesus, we are giving ourselves over to being formed into the likeness of who? Let me hear you. Say his name. Jesus. Yes, we're being formed into the likeness of Jesus and we do very intentional, regular, ongoing things, strategies, rhythms in order to become like him. That's literally like what the Christian life is all about. The purpose of the life of the Christian is to become like Jesus. That's, the, that's your purpose in life. More than anything else, more, youth, more than finding the right career, more than finding a potential spouse, more than adults, more than like saving for retirement and being financially independent and secure. The purpose of your life is to become like him. That's the purpose. 
We're always being formed into something. Formation is always happening. We're either being formed more into the likeness of Jesus or, we talked about this, or we're being deformed more into the likeness of the ungodly culture with which we live. It's one or the other. And do you know what the determining factor is? The determining factor is whatever you behold. Let's read it again. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You're free to choose. And we all, collectively, corporately, we're gonna get more into this in the weeks to come, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God is enlightening us to the person of Jesus when we give our gaze to him, and as a result, one degree of glory to the next, long process, but it's a process nonetheless, we become like him. Guys, this is, the Apostle Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians. This is the the Apostle Paul's, this is his strategy for discipleship. And I would argue it's the best one that we know of. It's probably the best one there is. You know, this this is the Apostle Paul's strategy for discipleship. Look at Jesus. And just keep looking at him. Keep looking at him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Behold him. Behold him. Behold him. Whether you're at work, behold him. Whether you're having a conversation with a friend, behold him. Whether you're cooking dinner, behold him. Whether you're disciplining your kid, behold him. Like, keep your eyes on Jesus. Because you become like what you behold. Any parents in the room, you ever have those moments where you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing? Okay, thank God. No, but for it, like, you know what I ought to do? I ought to fix my eyes on Jesus. Um, it's really difficult being a teenager. You guys face a lot of challenging things. It's a lot of pressure, especially you young girls, young ladies, forgive me. When you're uncertain, when you're uneasy, when you don't know the answer and you don't know what like, choice to make, direction to go, there's a lot of really wonderful things that you can do. There's, a, there's your parents that can counsel you that are just, I cannot encourage you enough, include mom and dad. Hopefully there's a, a spiritual aunties and uncles that you can lean on as well, like Tracy mentioned earlier. But you know what else is spectacular? Like, look to Jesus. He loves you more than any of us do. You become like what you behold. And I'm just not gonna stop saying this, guys. Do you wanna know why? The the reason I'm not gonna stop saying this is because there's a war going on. It's a war for your attention. There's literally a war, a battle, a struggle, a competition, whatever you want to call it, for your attention. Can I just ask you right now, today in this season of your life, this week even, 
Like, who's winning the war for your attention? I.e., who are you paying it to? Like, you know what a pie chart is? You know, it's that circle graph that like helps you take an inventory of things and like some of the slices are bigger than others based on what, you know, you give yourself to. Or whatever. Like if you, had a, if you had a beholding pie chart, what would it look like? Like what would make up the, the, the slices of the pie? What are the things that, that fascinate you? What's, what's the beauty and the glory that you're just irresistibly drawn to? What do you behold? What do you pay attention to? Like all the different various things, because if you're anything like me, it shifts. It changes. Some days it looks like this. Other days it looks like, it looks like that. Like 20 minutes ago it looked like this and three hours from now it's going to look like that. And what would it look like? Would Jesus, would Jesus have a slice? How big would his slice be? How often throughout your day do, do you think about Jesus? How, how often throughout your day do you, do you engage with Jesus? How often throughout your day do you, do you contemplate Jesus? How often does he have your attention? There's a war going on for your attention because you become like what you behold, friends. Who's winning the battle for your attention? Okay, I'm almost out of time. So what I want to do is in light of what I'm just convinced that God's been leading us towards for like, honestly, probably the last six, eight months, but really culminating here recently, um, I want to share some news with you. Um, I want to share a new spiritual formation strategy that we're installing into the life of our church, okay? Historically, we've had three strategies that we give ourselves to to grow as disciples of Jesus. The disciple is someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in all areas of life, okay? And these strategies are things that we give ourselves over to so that we can become more like Jesus, um, and you, will you guys throw up that first slide? It's gonna, you, you'll see what the new strategy is when, you, when it's up here, but I want, I want to touch quickly on what, so gospel communities are, are, I would say, our primary strategy. And what a gospel community is, is a community. It's not an event. It's not a Bible study. It's not a small group. It's a community of adults and their children um, who are following Jesus together. They're with intentionality uh, engaging in different rhythms in order to behold Jesus together to become more like him. They're practicing. It's like, a, it's like the area where you can train, where you can grow, where you can enjoy Jesus together, where you're not like uh, kind of trying to go it at your own, okay? That's a gospel community. Our, our, our church is not like a, that's not like a ministry of our church. Our church isn't like, doesn't like have gospel communities. Our church is a community of gospel communities, Okay? So that's gospel community. Sunday worship gathering, that's this. This is Sunday worship. It's, 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 we gather primarily, not exclusively, but primarily for him. To, just to bless him with offerings. Offerings of praise. Offerings of, 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 of our voices, of our bodies, of our money, of our energy, of our time. Hopefully to behold him in his glory where we open the scriptures. Why? So we can behold him. So we can become more like him. We can be encouraged by who he is, by who he's making us to be. 
pressing in. And again, that's a corporate thing, right? And then socials, these elements where we could be intentional with time together and also intentional about how we might be able to be led by the Spirit to see other men and women and children who don't know the love of Jesus or don't have a meaningful connection to his body be incorporated, be on-ramped in a really um, less intimidating way into the life of the body of Christ. We're introducing a new one. It's a prayer room. And you might be like, oh, that's a snoozer. <laughs> um, thanks, guys. Yeah, you can leave it here. A prayer room, it might just be the most powerful. What a prayer room is, the consecrated space. You know what consecration means? It means set apart. So it's a space that's set apart exclusively for prayer and for worship. Prayer is more than just a conversation with God. It involves that. It's engaging with your heavenly father. Okay? Worship. Obviously, it's more than praise, but praise is such a key element of ascribing worth to God. Okay, so it's a, a prayer room is a consecrated, set-aside space. As much as I love this building that we get to meet here, the school lets us, it's great. Um, we have a good relationship with them. You can go back to the, go back, guys, um, <clears throat> to those bullet points. Uh, as much as I love being able to be here, this is not a consecrated space. It's a space that we get to utilize. I'm thankful for it. God willing, there'll be a consecrated Sunday gathering space that we'll have someday. Pray for that. But a consecrated space for prayer and worship. Um, the Lachlans uh, have, have graciously made space in their office building for us, and we'll get you more details on what that's going to look like. But it's a consecrated space for prayer and worship. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with one to two meetings per week and then increase the, the number of those meetings um, from there. And again, dedicated to prayer and worship. Those meetings are going to be midweek in the mornings for now. Everybody, like, for the most part, our, our, our church, uh, some people have some difficult schedules, some people have some not-so-difficult schedules. The schedule of when these prayer meetings in the prayer room are going to happen are going to be based on the availability, and they're going to kind of be um, uh, catered to our community. Okay, time and space devoted for that. These are going to be for adults, for high schoolers, for junior hires to be all together. So not like separate one for adults, separate one for high schoolers, separate one for junior high. No, no, no. Listen, uh, you parents of youth in the room, you want to raise godly men and women, which I know that you do. Get them around godly men and women in environments where God's presence is there because his people are devoted to living as priests, orienting their life around worshiping him, blessing him, admiring him, honoring him, ministering to him. God's presence will do more for your child and for you than the best preach you've ever heard, the greatest teaching on the face of the earth. We'll talk more about his presence in the weeks to come and the power there. But so yeah, it's going to be for adults, for high schoolers, for junior hires. We're hoping to launch it. It'll pro- it says launching in March or April. As soon as possible, it'll most likely be April. We have to figure out some logistic things still. More details to come. Now you can go to the next slide for me, Sam. We'll be sharing more as this well, but I want to put this in front of you because this is a, we only have a handful of strategies. We choose these strategies based on, first and foremost, what is God, what is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd leading us to do? And two, what's going to be the biggest bang for our buck, right? And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord or being transformed into the same image, 
from one degree of glory to another. So what a prayer room is, it's the consecrated space for blessing God and beholding God through prayer and worship. Get ready. Okay, I want to call the band up. Will you guys come on up? Um, Prayer team, would you guys assemble as well? We're going to shift our gathering into a time of response. I'm going to keep this brief. But like I said um, in the weeks prior to this, I really believe we are in a turning point. Like we're in a hinge point, a turning point, a really important moment in the life of this church. Um, And again, it's not like that we're making all these big practical changes. When we talk about a turning point, what we're talking about is we're talking about a mindset shift. It's it's a renewal, if you will, of the mind, right? Where in everything that we do, every discipleship strategy that we engage in, our main priorities are to bless God and to behold him. Him at the center. His presence at the center. You can't help but behold things that are glorious and things that are beautiful. Can I just tell you that there's nothing more glorious and there's nothing more beautiful than the Son of God, His cross, His resurrection, His ascension, and dare I not forget His life. There's nothing more beautiful than Jesus. Michael Jordan's got nothing. Kardashians have got nothing. Nothing on Jesus. And here's what I'm convinced of. If you will actually gaze upon him, if you will actually give him your attention, you know what will happen? Transformation. He will blow you away with his kindness, with his grace, with his mercy, with his power. Can I just share the gospel with you really quickly? I'm way over. I told you I would stop preaching so long so we had more time to respond. God became a man to live the perfect life that you and I never could and then to die the death that you and I deserve for the ways that we rebel against him, the ways that we sin against him and sin against others. He took on the cross. He opened his veins. He spilled his blood as an offering, as a sin offering to cover every single one of your sins, past, present, future. Nobody loves you like God. Nobody. There's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more glorious. The scriptures literally talk about Jesus's glory. They talk, they talk about the cross when they're referring, like we refer to his glory, they're talking about the cross. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to rise to your feet. We're gonna go into a time of response, worship and praise and prayer ministry and pressing into who he is, beholding Jesus. What might it look like if he had your undivided attention right now? Hear me, what if nobody else had your attention? What if, what if nobody else had your attention? What if, what if your attention was exclusively on Jesus? exclusively on the Father, exclusively on the Son, exclusively on the Spirit. 
for the remainder of our gathering, we're going to behold him. We're going to behold him. We're going to respond in praise. There are trusted men and women off to the side over here that would love to pray for you. If you need, um, if you need help, if you need guidance, if you need insight, if you're just going, I want to behold him, but I have a hard time. I just, my, my faith growing stale. I feel like I'm stuck in this weird zone. I feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm not making progress. I feel like I'm having a hard time. I feel like I'm really distracted. I feel like I'm not able to behold on Jesus. I feel like other things are more beautiful. Maybe there's something spiritual going on. Maybe, just maybe, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom for you. Prayer, praise, behold. Okay? Love you guys very much.